So yeah, obviously there's predictable. Um, no, there's understandable. Predictable, out- yeah. <laughs> predictable. <laughs> It's Friday, February the 9th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Amsterdam Grammar Nazi, and I'm joined as usual by Paul Peters, civil engineer and parliamentary party animal. Yes. Uh, Paul, um, joyous news from you this week, right? Very joyous news, uh, yeah. because uh, last week it was announced that in the Eerste Kamer, so that's the Dutch Senate, the upper house, um, they would no longer serve alcohol with the dinners there. Um, they, they only have, I think, they, they only meet once or twice a week or something. They yeah. have yeah. a very limited schedule, but it's always in the evening because when you're a senator, you usually have some sort of other uh, important job, um, not necessarily unrelated to the things you are voting on, by the way. Yeah. Um, yes. So that means that uh, the senators always get served uh, dinner, of course, um, and uh, it was decided that uh, they would no longer serve alcohol with uh, with their dinner. So no beers, no wines. Mm. Um, that wasn't because of an amusing incident or something, you know, <laughs> Annabel Nanninga rolling down the chairs stairs or something. Uh, that yeah. wasn't the case. Um, but um, yeah, it, it was just uh, um, yeah, the zeitgeist or something. They they yeah, said they, they, they just decided. I don't know. It's like yeah. a, the, the, it's a working environment. You shouldn't be drinking at work. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, something yeah, like that. So we're, we're not the British House of Commons. We should be. <laughs> uh, we should be a bit more grown up and responsible. But this decision was uh, reversed. With Within a week, um, yeah. <laughs> they they had to vote on it in the Tweede Kamer, and it was um, especially D66 Senator Paul van Meenen uh, who said, "Yeah, this is betutteling, right?" The, the yeah, how yeah. would you call it? Uh, yeah, it's it's, an, it's nanny statism, right? Yeah, it's, uh, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Something that D66, yeah, is uh, tends to do very often itself. But when it comes <laughs> yes. to alcohol, uh, yeah. they draw the line there. Um, so there was no majority for this plan. And um, that means that the alcohol ban is uh, is reversed in the Senate. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the boomers can uh, can still uh, drink their booze. The boomers can still be boozers. Yeah, yes. no, sure. Yeah, no, sure. They, they raised a glass to that on. Uh, after the session oh. and uh, in, in Dutch um, the prohibition is called the drooglegging yeah. uh, which uh, refers to our latest Patreon special I think uh, very much on the Delta Works and on the history of the Netherlands with uh, with water and, and, and poldering um, to lay something dry it basically yes. means and that relates to what happened to me yesterday because <laughs> uh, when I arrived home after being uh, drenched by showers in uh, for, for six times uh, uh, on my bike uh, over the entire day I um, realized that I left my laptop charger at uh, at uh, in Leiden um, and I live in Delft so I had to uh, <laughs> cycle back or, or go back by train to uh, I was gonna say you didn't cycle all the way to Leiden in the rain no no Please no time you didn't do that um, yeah. but I had to cycle to the to the train station again and from the train <laughs> station in Leiden to the place I left my charger and back and I got uh, yeah soaking Soaked wet again. another yeah. four times so the things I do <laughs> for this podcast is yeah. uh, is, uh, is is astonishing, I think. Yeah. So, so please donate gener- uh, generously <laughs> this week because Paul needs some new waterproof gear. Yes. For his, <laughs> for his bike. Yeah. And um, Gordon, you've been to Amsterdam, I think. Uh, I haven't 
been to Amsterdam. In fact, I'm avoiding it altogether. I certainly can't go there by train <laughs> because if you step off at Central Station at the moment, uh, you uh, step onto a building site. Uh, they're doing um, uh, some kind of works out there. And um, That has been the case for the past 15 years. It's, uh, they're constantly doing building work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, people always think that the, the Central Station itself is a building site because the new entrance that they stuck on the front looks like um, <laughs> sort of like a temporary workman's entrance. Yeah. Anyway, there is actually building work going on just across um, the, the canal from Central Station and they put up a sign warning people of to works traffic coming in and out but uh, it caused an absolute uh, storm of um, outrage on Twitter this week because uh, they'd, uh, they'd put a spelling mistake on the sign <laughs> so or uh, a spelling mistake a, a grammar mistake so uh, the, the, the underneath the sign where it says that there's uh, um, there are vehicles coming in and out uh, it's, uh, it's a sign warning cyclists particularly to be visible and it says um, but it says with a W on the end, which of course yeah. is the uh, possessive uh, the pronoun form. So it's, it's, it looks yeah. like it's an incomplete sentence. So instead yeah. of so, you see me, I see you, it says you see me, I see your what? You know, f- f- fill in the blank. Yes, yes, whatever. F- f- fill in with a suitably um, inappropriate yeah. comment. I, I just hope this is another reason. We're going to later on in the sport, we're going to talk about uh, moves to bring Mark Overmars back to Amsterdam. This is another reason not to do that, I think. <laughs> yeah, d- d- don't show your stuff in Amsterdam. No, no d- d- uh... d- d- don't flash your junk in Amsterdam, yeah. even though the signs are implying that you should. And uh, this had all, almost made it to the uh, OPEF of the week, I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it wasn't for uh, PETA, the animal rights, uh, rights group that uh, um, luckily for me uh, came out with uh, a ridiculous plan yesterday. Yeah. They're a dependable source of OPEF. They're kind of the anti-Baudet, aren't they? They're the opposite polarity from yeah. uh, Thierry Baudet and PETA. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes, uh, because PETA uh, called yesterday on fairground attraction makers to remove horses and other animals from carousels. The group told Algemeen Dagblad on Thursday that merry-go-rounds with an animal theme unwittingly celebrates the exploitation of conscious beings and they teach children that it's normal to use animals for our pleasure. Yeah, that's a a fantastic line of reasoning, I think. Um, (laughs) Also, I realized uh, because of the Dutch News article um, in Britain, merry-go-rounds are called roundabouts. Sometimes they are. Yeah, oh, okay. they're also called merry-go-rounds. I think I've, I tend to okay. refer to yeah, merry-go-rounds. Yeah, Wikipedia um, says that the roundabout is the is the British version of a merry-go-round. But I I, I only know the word roundabout because of, of, of a rotonde, right? Is That's, this... That would be my first association as well. Yeah. No, oh, okay. I would tend to call okay. a carousel just me. a merry-go-round. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then it wasn't just me. No. Um, PETA specifically called on the amusement park uh, The Efteling, uh, which houses the Netherlands' oldest merry-go-round, to consider changing their theme. The Efteling has been uh, subject of uh, calls on changing their attractions and and uh, <laughs> their the, the rides on a regular basis. Uh, I say this, this one is quite low down the list, isn't it? Of, after the after the racist cannibal and uh, you know. <laughs> and stereotypical puppets in the uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a carnival festival I believe it's called uh, yeah. this one they didn't see coming I, I believe <laughs> um, the Efteling told uh, Algemeen Dagblad that it found
found the discussion interesting and special, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they didn't rule out making changes in the future. They, they've been getting used to 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 making changes to their to their ride. So uh, yeah, yeah, they they, they um, I think they are just preparing uh, for for <laughs> because when when people called on changing the uh, the cannibal from one of these yeah. uh, 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 rides, um, the initial reaction was also, what are, why are people making a fuss about this? And yeah, this is a similar uh, situation, even though this one, I think, um, doesn't make sense at all. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I think uh, saying that a cannibal character who's got sort of quite uh, pronounced racial features yeah. uh, is, is a slightly more legitimate target than uh, a horse on a merry-go-round. Yeah. I would agree so as well. Uh, Peter's ID... Uh, obviously raised a lot of eyebrows, uh, especially on the internet, and Twitter exploded in uh, ridicule and outrage with people asking if Peter was hit by the draaimolen, which is a variety on the Dutch uh, um, uh, saying, uh, hit by a windmill. Um, And uh, they were wondering if, uh, for example, the Wipkip would be next. Yeah. which is a, a common thing you see on playgrounds. Um, yeah, like a, a seesaw, a, a chicken a chicken seesaw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Dutch Animal Protection uh, also responded. And they said, yeah, we first had to check the calendar to see if the April Fool's Day was moved to February when we heard of, uh, of Peter's uh, uh, proposal. So uh, they're yeah. all also not taking uh, this idea very seriously. No, no. But I mean, I think in fairness, you know, if we can just stop one child from skewering a horse on a wooden pole and sticking it on a merry-go- on, on, on a rotating carousel then <laughs> Peter will feel vindicated here that's not the only instance of things spinning out of control this week uh, <laughs> as we attempt to explain what happens next in the increasingly bitter and chaotic coalition negotiations as if things weren't turbulent enough the farmers protests erupted again universities moved to curb the number of international students and cut back on English language teaching China is accused of hacking the Dutch defence ministry and Ajax learn who will play in the quarterfinals of the women's champions league on Tuesday evening, the coalition talks between PVV, VVD, NSA and BBB collapsed after NSA leader Pieter Omzicht stepped out of the negotiations, claiming that crucial financial documents had been withheld from the negotiators by informateur Ronald Plasterk. In a letter to his party members, Omzicht wrote that he was very shocked to learn about the real financial setbacks and risks the government is facing in the near future. He had requested an inventory of the financial difficulties ministries are expecting, but these weren't shared with the negotiators for two weeks, Omzicht claims. Friction between the four negotiating parties had become apparent in the past few weeks after the talks initially started optimistically, even though there were worries about the unconstitutionality of the PVV's plans, specifically when it comes to the rights of Muslims. The first crack started after the VVD Senate faction surprisingly voted in favor of the controversial spreading law, which led to an end of the so-called radio silence agreement and the start of leaks to the press on disagreements between the four parties, such as finance, Ukraine and Omzicht's indecisiveness. More fundamental disagreements became painfully clear in a debate on the Agricultural Ministry's budget, in which PVV MP Dion Gauss held an absolute serenade on the wolf. It was a, quite a bizarre spectacle, I have to say. Yeah. Um, if you if you understand Dutch, uh, Google Dion Gauss and wolf, and uh, you will uh, you will be mesmer- mesmerized by uh, yeah what he has been uh, spitting out mm. in Parliament. Uh, he he even he even did a tutorial on how to scare wolves if you ever encounter one in the wild. Right? I <laughs> think you if you've that? got Dion Kraus standing next to you, the, 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 the wolves will be keeping their distance. <laughs> yes. 
Um, yeah, and, and, and this uh, yeah, pro-wolf stance uh, of Dion Graus uh, caused a lot of uh, irritation by the Boer-Burgerbeweging, which is a mm. pro-farmer party, of course. Yeah. Um, and also NSA expressed their wish to respect the 2030 deadline uh, of the measures to reduce nitrogen emissions, something that is also opposed by the Boer-Burgerbeweging as well as the PVV. And on Friday, a new round of uh, disruptive uh, farmer protest. We will talk about that later in the podcast. Um, Baby Bay leader Caroline van der Plas refused to condemn a thinly veiled threat by radical farmer group leader Mark van den Oever. Uh, that threat was directed at the agricultural minister, but also on an NSA MP. So um, that was also something that Pieter Omzicht wasn't very happy about. No, indeed. And uh, he <coughs> tweeted uh, a, a fairly abrupt um, uh, message to uh, Funda Plus telling her that uh, she really ought to be condemning it. Um, yeah. And she still didn't. So on Monday, the four party leaders uh, met without Plastic um, and uh, they were supposed to be sort of, uh, yeah, it was kind of group therapy, wasn't it? They yeah. were trying to work on their relationship. Yeah, work on their chemistry, uh, I believe yeah. the uh, the press release said. <laughs> and indeed, they did it without informateur Plastek present. Uh, the secret meeting um, was held uh, at the office of the VVD leader of Dylan Yesogus at the Justice Ministry. So when that came out, all the journalists immediately rushed to the Justice Ministry, of course. Um, PVV leader Geert Wilders tweeted after their group therapy session that the four parties needed to find a way forward to give voters the cabinet they wanted. Um, and uh, this was this was quite um, uh, uh, noteworthy, I think, because both Jesselkus and Van der Plas replied that they agreed with that. But there was one voice that remained very silent on the internet, and it was mm. a very, uh, yeah, very telling and yes. um, yeah, a, a, a sign of things to come. Um, and that voice was, of course, Peter Omzicht. Um, on Tuesday, the party leaders met again, this time with Plasterk, and it was at this meeting Omzicht made his decision um, to uh, step out of the coalition talks, and it set in motion an evening full of political drama, I, 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 I might add. <laughs> um, several reconstructions appeared in the media, um, and Omzicht apparently walked out of the meeting at 4 p.m. He stated that he was tired and he needed some rest, uh, but immediately after he left the room, he started uh, to write this letter to his party members. And uh, he also arranged an uh, off-the-record meeting with three journalists in a hotel near uh, Den Haag uh, HS station to give his side of the story. And as they were meeting, this letter he had already sent to a, um, yeah, a select group of, of party members had leaked to the press. So as he was meeting with these journalists, they said, yeah, we have your your um, expl <laughs> explanation letter uh, here on our phone. Um, yeah. Um, I, you probably should talk to your party <laughs> members and see what is happening here. And of course, another crucial thing, he hadn't uh, informed the other three negotiating parties yet of his decision, as well as Plastek. So uh, they were still meeting and they uh, got a push message on their phone saying, yeah, Plastek has stepped out of negotiation talks so uh, yeah that's also, they, they were they were they weren't even they didn't even break up by text it was like um they broke up with a facebook status update right I, yeah yeah pretty much yeah yeah can, can you can you name a member of parliament who's always very critical of the government for uh, making announcements through the media <laughs> before uh, they they've disclosed them in parliament to mps i'm trying to think 
That's yeah, there was uh, there is one person in particular that comes to mind, uh, Peter yeah. Omzicht. Peter Omzicht is um, constantly constantly attacking the government for that. And so also yeah. someone who is uh, always criticizing political games and uh, backdoor yeah. agreements, and uh, you know these this this two yeah as you say this this two intimate relation between. Politicians and the media, and he is meeting with these three journalists. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderfully ironic uh, situation, of course. Um, so within five minutes after the news broke, um, Wilders, Jasukus, and Van der Plas uh, all went to Twitter and they uh, tweeted that they were baffled by the announcement. They, uh, yeah, they they uh, didn't see it coming at all. They were just speaking with him this afternoon. They said um, they found the move unbelievable and disappointing uh, and Plastek who was also you know w- he was writing his report probably and he <laughs> uh, stepped out of the parliamentary building uh, and he said that he was very surprised by the accusations Peter Omzicht uh, made he uh, called Omzicht's explanation for pulling out of the talks a muddled tale yeah and it's not clear is it, uh, whether Omsk's criticism was that Plastet didn't disclose the reports uh, or what was actually in the reports because he he, he claimed that, uh, that they put, gave a very different picture of the financial situation from what he'd been led to believe up till now. Yeah, even though everyone knew already that uh, the future cabinet needs to find a way to uh, save 17 billion euros in spending, right? So that there was a um, that there was a financial um, challenge here that was that didn't come to a surprise. But what Peter Omzicht did was at the start of the negotiations, he had requested at the ministries everything they expect um, can go wrong in the near future, and they of course send it to. To the informateur and Peter Omzicht says the informateur withheld this information from me and when I actually saw it on Monday or on Tuesday I believe um, he 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 hij was zich rot geschrokken he uh, hmm. uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was very uh, um, yeah it was kind of a list of worst, worst case scenarios wasn't it effectively yeah that's it so, and yeah. also because um, ministries of course they are always short of money so yeah whenever they <laughs> It is also in their interest to say, yeah, we have an extreme shortage of money in the near future. We need more money. That 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 is the way things work, right? Because the finance mm. ministry always says no, whenever whenever new money is needed. So they are sort of uh, programmed to, yeah, say that yeah they are in dire need of of uh, of, of of money. And yeah, they're in constant sort of catastrophe mode. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Peter Omzicht knows this. Because you know he's been in politics for 25 years, so this yeah. sh- this this shouldn't come too much as a surprise as one of the well, as, as the most experienced MP that is sitting in these negotiations. So, uh, and also the accusation that Plastek has with withheld withhold this information from him, right? That yeah. uh, he's basically saying I don't trust Plastek anymore. Yeah, that's basically what's uh, his line of reasoning why he stepped out of the coalitions. Uh, Rob Jette, who was also uh, present at the talk show, said, yeah, when you think that um, financial and fiscal responsibility is key for a new cabinet, and there are some financial challenges coming ahead, um, saying that, yeah, I don't want to solve this anymore. Is that responsible behavior, right? It's yeah. uh, an, an, another thing that's, uh, that, that is a, yeah, a bit questionable uh, about Peter Omzicht's explanation here, I think. 
Yeah, so everyone was confused and surprised and bewildered, but um, Omzicht uh, then on Tuesday evening uh, appeared on a TV talk show, Humberto, yeah. to clear everything up and explain his reasoning, right? So yeah. that, that made it, after that, everything made perfect sense, yeah? Very much, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> he said, for, for, uh, for one thing, he said, yeah, the talks haven't collapsed. I only stepped out of this round, um, suggesting that uh, there might be still a role, a future role for him in a new cabinet, even though he had just announced that he, w- he had stepped out of the talks. So, yeah, a bit unclear here. Um, he also said that he, he wanted to wait for Plastec's report. Plastec, he just said he didn't have any confidence in anymore, but he wanted to wait for his report until um, he's going to make a final decision. So his judgment was uh, of the sudden also very important. Um, and he also said that the talks on the rule of law and constitution, the thing that they first needed to agree on, according to uh, Plastec's uh, assignment, uh, he said that those had ended because otherwise uh, he wouldn't have talked about other topics. But a day later, he said, yeah, they had never made any uh, clear agreements on this uh, on this topic. And um, they had basically decided to uh, agree to disagree on uh, constitutional issues. So it wasn't very, uh, he was very unclear on a number of key issues here, I think. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he probably left more loose ends than, um, than, than he started with, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, especially the constitutional thing, which was supposed to be um, like a precondition for any kind yeah. of talks, right? They had to agree on the constitution, they had to agree basically that here, builders would not go through with his plans to ban mosques and you know cut the uh, withdraw spending from the european union and uh, and, and, and ignore the schengen treaty um yeah. but uh, it seems that now they just sort of step they, they bypass that because um because they want to get onto the finances so omzicht has now left the talks uh, um and uh, apparently gone back to inschede what are the how are the other three parties going to move forward yeah, they've been um, the the blame game was very strong, right? All the three parties, yeah, uh, yeah have been uh, blaming everything on Peter Omzicht, uh, and they've been throwing uh, even more mud than they're already doing before. Peter Omzicht decided to break, but still, they have been inviting him uh, to return to the negotiation uh, table. Um, I think they are meeting again now for the third time after. Uh, Peter Omzicht uh, left for Enschede, um, but uh, yeah, uh, Omzicht has uh, declined all invitations, and there was a very um, telling photo of the negotiation uh, table in the uh, Tweede Kamer, um, where um, the three party leaders were sitting with uh, Plastek on a table, and there was one. Uh, chair empty uh, at that mm-hmm. table but th- there was there was a still a glass of water and uh, and, a, and a little bouquet <laughs> yeah. of flowers yeah. uh, but the, uh, but the, the chair was, uh, <laughs> st- uh, i think they they bring them in after the photographers leave <laughs> uh, i imagine yeah. um, but the chair was empty and uh, yeah that was very telling peter omzicht wasn't going to uh, return um Plastek is going to send his report on the negotiations to Parliament on Monday. Uh, his findings will be debated on Wednesday, I believe. And that is also the day that the Tweede Kamer as a whole will need to uh, make a decision on how to proceed. But if there is still already not a majority, uh, if there's, you know, they decide on, on majority. And if there's no majority on yeah, what the other th- 
three parties are want to do. For example, they want to explore a minority cabinet um, that yeah. could also that could also be blocked by the other parties. Now, come to think of it, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the most straightforward option right now. I think if if uh, Peter Onzeg has really closed the door of uh, cabinet participation, then um, a minority cabinet between the three leftover parties is uh, is 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 the most obvious. Uh, way to go for it. So between PVV, VVD, and BBB. Um, but there is also another option. Um, they they have a um, minority of 68 seats then. And of course, you need 76 seats for a majority in parliament. So yeah. nine seats to uh, to uh, to bridge. Yeah, and of um, course, that also would mean that the Fefe Day would have to row back on their position at the moment, which is they won't go into a cabinet. So they'll only be a Gedoog partner. Yeah, right. so yeah, exactly. a cabinet of just PVV um, and BBB is not going to be enough. They'd only have 44 seats, I think. Yeah. Yes, and a minority gedoog cabinet is uh, something that is uh, really unprecedented in Dutch uh, parliamentary history. So how that exactly would look like is uh, is also a big question mark. In the coming year, coming days, coming weeks, coming months, for example, if Plastec is replaced by another informateur, right? Uh, Peter Omzicht uh, doesn't trust him anymore, so maybe that is um, uh, that could be enough for for Peter Omzicht to uh, to come back on board. Um, in any in some sort of uh, way, um, he might join the coalition uh, fully, but you can also gedoog it again. Um, that is another option, but yeah, that seems to be unlikely right now. Uh, and there, but there's also still another uh, option, uh, majority option. That's a center-left cabinet of GroenLinks, PvdA, VVD, NSA, and D66. They have 78 seats, and D66 can even re- be replaced by BBB. Then this um, potential coalition has 76 seats, so that's the smallest possible majority. But it does mean that Frans Timmermans, um, this this uh, yeah, former Labour minister, will become prime minister. And especially the VVD is very much opposed to this because, yeah, they say, if you look at the uh, outcome of the election, um, uh, the right-wing parties are clearly in a majority. The, the people want a right-wing government and to end up with a... Uh, Labour Prime Minister, yeah, that's uh, probably not uh, something that reflects the outcome of uh, of the election. But still, it is seven, it is a majority, and yeah. Uh, yeah, in our in our parliamentary system, um, it's very clear a majority is a majority. So um, yeah, I think there will have to be a lot of movement by the other parties before we can get to that stage. Certainly, Yeshilkas, I think, finds that quite an unpalatable combination. Uh, the Fefe Day have already lost about half their seats. On yeah. the opinion polls, to um, almost all to the PVV. Um So yeah, the fear is I think that if they come to, they teamed up with Timmermans, they'd lose even more because the Fefe Day uh, voters uh, wouldn't stand for it. Gewilders, uh, I think himself also put down a marker there when he said after um, after Omzicht had walked out, he said that Omzicht had opened the door to Timmermans. I think it's I think mentioning yeah. Timmermans' name there quite deliberately in combination with Omzicht because of course I think his reading of the election result is it was an anti-Timmermans vote. So by just raising the spectre of Timmermans as prime minister, he's trying to head it off in advance, um, I think. So that seems to me a very remote prospect. Of course, there's also Omzik's own preferred 
um, uh, option, which is a what they call a Zaken cabinet, right? A, a, yeah. a, a non non partisan, non political um, team of ministers, uh, which Omzicht uh, uh, has been um, flying a flag for from the start of these talks. But the other parties haven't really got um, uh, discussed. It. And I think the fact that Omzicht you know, is now seen as the guy who is responsible for this impasse makes that a less likely option as well. Yeah, and he never explains what it actually means, right? No. Because you know, we've never seen a similar uh, cabinet in, 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 in recent memory. So, yeah, we wouldn't know what that looks like. And he never explains it in full. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, so some people say one of the cabinets in the 1970s, I think the Denel cabinet was kind of a Zakan cabinet because there were a couple of ministers who weren't from the political parties. But it's not quite the same. Couple, it was, yeah, yeah, it's not quite the same. No. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we could even argue that uh, uh, the previous cabinet was the Zaka cabinet then as well, because there were a number of um, of, uh, of of ministers, especially from D sixty six, that had to sign up, you know, become a party member before they could actually become a minister. So in yeah. effect, they were partyless um, uh, ministers, I would say. Yeah, um, and, and they were the first ministers to leave as well. Yeah, after as the, well. Yeah, <laughs> when the yeah, cabinet, so. uh, when the cabinet, when the coalition collapsed. So yeah, yeah. So so it's all very murky and unclear and I guess uh, we'll learn more in the debate next week and as if things weren't heated enough the farmers went back on the road last week with their protests this time they joined their colleagues in other European countries including France Belgium Germany and Spain to demonstrate against the European Union's agricultural policies Dutch and Belgian farmers blocked motorways on the border and set fire to stacks of wooden pallets and tyres, as well as piles of rubbish, so the access roads to Belgium were in an even more shocking state than usual. Several <laughs> people were injured in road accidents near the sites of the protests, where visibility was hampered by thick black clouds of smoke. Police arrested two people on the A50 near Apeldoorn for dumping rubbish and starting fires and said further arrests could not be ruled out. Uh, yeah, and there is also a lot uh, more criticism on farmers this time because uh, in the past uh, people were still a little bit sympathetic on farmers whenever they started protesting, but that is uh, slowly starting to change. I think uh, yeah, it's fair to say there's a lot less public support uh, for the farmers uh, this time compared to when the protests first started back in 2019. Uh, and I think that's, um, yeah, partly people just fatigued by it and also the the, the, the farmers have been uh, there's been a lot of aggression and there's also been criticism within the farmers groups as well yeah. the, the police unions put out a statement that they were uh, criticizing them for putting citizens lives in danger by burning rubbish beside the road and and some of the rubbish included uh, things like asbestos so yeah. setting asbestos on fire obviously is a health hazard and an environmental hazard as well um, so there's also criticism and there, was, there was even a motorway that was closed for the better part of a day I think because yeah, whenever asbestos is involved uh, there are all sorts of protocols and complicated protocols yep. come uh, come into place yeah yeah it's a very complicated cleanup operation yeah um so uh, and the justice minister dylan yeshelgas uh, there she yeah, is again there she is again she's uh, got quite a lot on her plate at the moment she came under pressure to take stronger action against the protests um the police criticized uh, the government and politics politicians um for looking away and not coming up with solutions other mps like uh, d66 parliamentary group leader Yampata tweeted that the minister has a big job to restore the government's authority and uh, yeah and MPs piled in to say that this was anarchy and it needed to be sorted out so Yeshilgas has held emergency talks with the police and prosecution service on Tuesday and more moderate farming groups uh, like the LTO the, um, uh, the, the farming and uh, horticultural association they've also distanced themselves from groups like Farmers Defence Force saying that intimidation and vandalism do not help their cause. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, it's in sharp contrast with a certain uh, BBB leader who uh, refused to do so. Uh, We already mentioned uh, Farmers Defense Force uh, Chairman Mark van den Oever. What has he been up to? Yeah, so Mark van den Oever, he specifically posted a video um, where he said that Agriculture Minister Piet Adema and Harm Holman, um, who is NSA's farming spokesman, Piet Holmsig's party, uh, they would be the central focus of our attention. And as if he wasn't making his point quite clear enough, he was uh, saying this while standing in front of a stack of blazing wooden pallets and burning tyres. So it's pretty clear what kind of attention he was talking about. And uh, that was why Peter Omzicht was was disappointed that Caroline van der Plas didn't uh, condemn this outright when it was mentioned on a talk show. Uh, Van der Plas just said, uh, well, I just looked at what he said and it wasn't quite a threat. Yeah, but when you actually look at the the pictures combined with the words, it's pretty clear what uh, what the message is. Holman, uh, incidentally, is a dairy farmer from Drenthe. So, you know, he's one of these farmers that would be uh, affected by things like the nitrogen pollution regulations. He was a dairy farmer for 40 years. Uh, but he spoke during an agricultural debate where he called for the size of the dairy herd to be reduced. Mm. Um, FDF had published a longer list of politicians they had a grievance with, uh, which also included the former Christian Uni leader, Miriam Bicker, and the Sadia Azalina Feder. And I might remember last year, the FDF stirred up a lot of anger when they posted Feder's telephone number online mm. and encouraged their supporters to, to call her. On Wednesday night, the mayor of Appledorn issued an emergency order because uh, there were rumours that FDF supporters were going to go to the town and try and break out the two people who had been arrested from jail. Uh, in the event, the night passed that incident, but there was another protest uh, on the road on the nearby A28. So what's the farmer's beef this time? Yeah, they're complaining about a combination of national and European measures uh, that they say damages uh, their their business and their livelihoods. Uh, They've been hit by falling sale prices combined with the rising cost of energy, fertilizer and transport. And they complain the European Union's regulatory system is based on the premise that bigger is better. But at the same time, governments are coming up with all kinds of measures to restrict their activity because they need to tackle things like pollution and climate change. And in the Netherlands, that, of course, includes the plans to cut nitrogen compound emissions by buying out farms. And these talks have been stalled uh, ever since the last coalition collapsed. Farmers have also complained about cheap imports, notably from Ukraine, where the EU waived quotas and duties in the wake of the Russian invasion. And the farmers say this has pushed down prices and created unfair competition. And um, are the protests having any effect? Uh, a little bit. So they seem to have at least got uh, agriculture on uh, on the agenda uh, because uh, there was a summit meeting in Brussels last week uh, which wasn't actually about farming but uh, because the farmers' protests blew up they obviously started talking about it. And Pete Adama uh, said that European leaders would be holding intensive talks this week about what they could do to help the farmers. Uh, one thing that he mentioned was the, the, the issue of the cost of transporting fertiliser which apparently has uh, shot up recently and is one of the Dutch farmers' biggest grievances. FDF did call off further protests they planned for this week after they met Adama, but they warned that the demonstrations would resume if they didn't see a result by February the 15th. So the day after, so the good news is that your Valentine's Day roses will not be uh, covered in shit, but uh, <laughs> the, the, the roads might be after that. Yeah, and I believe that Wopke Hoekstra also did a lot of concessions on uh, his in his new uh, climate change plans, I believe, and. I can't re- really remember what it, what exactly it was, but Wopke um, uh, Hoekstra is a Christian Democrat, of course, and with the upcoming um, uh, po- European parliamentary elections, uh, they are, of course, trying to appease their agricultural electoral base uh, a bit more this way, it is uh, expected by some uh, political commentators. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he has sort of watered down some of the um, uh, proposals, I think. I was with so I took over from Franz Timmermans yeah. as the Europe, as Europe's uh, environment czar, and he's now uh, talked about um, yeah, sort of scaling back some of the more ambitious targets, uh, like, like uh, reducing um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 90% by 2040. So, yeah, it looks as if uh, there's going to be some kind of concessions to the farmers. And Timmermans said, if I still was commissioner, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is an interesting st- interpretation of, uh, yeah. of things. Dutch universities have come up with a voluntary plan to reduce the number of international students and increase the amount of Dutch language degrees. The plan comes as an alternative for a new bill that's aimed at managing and steering the number of international students coming to the Netherlands. All major bachelor degrees will have at least some Dutch teaching. Universities are making an inventory of which courses should be fully Dutch to reduce the number of bachelor degrees offered in English. And no more English language bachelor programs will be developed for now. Universities will also stop recruitment at international fairs for degree subjects with no labor market shortage. A cap of international students have already been applied last year on a number of courses. And this has led to a fifth fewer first year international students at the Vrije Universiteit in Amsterdam and a slight decrease at the University of Amsterdam. There's, there, I always forget that there are two universities in yeah. Amsterdam, but there are. The Dutch University Association feels that their plan is the only way accessibility for Dutch students can be fully guaranteed and the number of international students can be restrained. Currently, there are 122,000 international students in the Netherlands, which is three and a half times as many as in 2005. And they're all blamed for the housing crisis. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And everything else. Uh, But not everyone is happy with this plan, right? No, Robert-Jan Smits, uh, he's the president of the executive board at Eindhoven University of Technology, said that being unwelcome to foreign talent goes against the Dutch culture and is uh, very unwise given that there is a shortage of top talent in the country. He uh, points at Denmark that took uh, similar decisions six years ago and is now regretting uh, it and yeah, probably uh, turning back from it. Others have questioned uh, the logic in blaming foreign students for Dutch problems such as the housing crisis and they point out that students from outside the EER region are worth 96,000 euros each compared to 17,000 uh, of European students. Um, so yeah, VOC mentality. They're they are appealing on our on our VOC mentality. Yeah, yeah, I yeah think it's a reverse here. VOC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, about a third of uh, international uh, students stay and work in the Netherlands after their graduation, and even more do this in the engineering sector, which is uh, yeah, which has a, a huge shortage of. Uh, of workers, of course. Yeah, so we look forward to all these measures being reversed uh, in about six years' time when it yeah. turns out to be completely impractical. And by then we might even have a new government, who knows. <laughs> We're pleased to say there is no upper limit on the number of people who can become patrons of the Dutch News Podcast, so if you're a regular listener and you'd like to chip in a year or two to help us keep making sense of the latest news and political developments, or at least trying to, you can do so on our Patreon page. All new patrons get a shout-out to say thank you, and we're always keen to have your comments and questions. There are four tiers of membership, uh, all of which give you access to our exclusive bonus content, such as our special episode on the Delta Works uh, from, uh, the, from a few weeks ago. You also get a bonus vote in the only election that really matters, the OPEF of the Year Awards, and mm-hmm. Krachtergordel patrons, that's the top tier, get three votes. 
we have two if Deadpool new patrons. convince anyone, I don't know what what will. I'd say exactly. Well, what more do you need? Yeah, and it also <laughs> won't take us. You know, do, we, we won't uh, d- just um, sit around for eleven weeks doing nothing after the vote. We will actually deliver a result. <laughs> so that's our promise to you. This week we got two new patrons uh, to thank. Uh, so thank you very much to uh, Krista Ort and to Andre uh, for your support. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, we've uh, had a, a reply as well from Neil Boyd, who uh, became a sponsor, I think, a, a week earlier. Uh, who says he's been uh, living in Harlem for for twenty years. Uh, he, he came from the UK and he recently became Dutch. This, uh, hmm. so this, this seems to be a um, uh, be a trend again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he says the further he says uh, the, the day of his first integration was also the first day of the COVID lockdown. So that ah. was uh, possibly uh, not a great omen. Um, uh, but he thought uh, when he put the exam, he thought Friday the thirteenth. What, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> there we are. Uh, but uh, yeah, so well, congratulations on your uh, shiny new uh, burgundy passport, Neil. Hope you're enjoying traveling on that and uh, skipping the, UK, the long queues. UK passports are turned blue, I believe, right? Or, 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 the, the, they have turned color? blue and they're made in France. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By a, no, no, no. They've been they've been produced by a French company, but they've been printed in Poland. Sorry, they've been made in Poland, yeah, but by yeah, a French yeah. company. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So an, 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 another victory for taking back control. <laughs> If you'd like to join our growing band of patrons, log on to www.patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Horn Town Council in Nordhalland has postponed a decision on whether to take down a statue of Jan Pieterson Kuhn. Kuhn was the Governor-General of the Dutch East Indies in the early 17th century and laid the foundations for the slave trade. He also led punishment expeditions on the Banda Islands that led to the deaths of thousands of people and earned him the nickname the Butcher of Banda. Kuhn's statue has been a target of protest since the 1960s and been daubed with paint on several occasions, but despite his notoriety, councillors have until now refused requests to remove the statue, which was erected in 1893. On Tuesday night, the council agreed to give locals more say in the future of the statue and kept the door open to a referendum at a later date. So how divided is the town at the uh, IJsselmeer exactly uh, when it comes to this statue? Yeah, it's very divided. It seems to be the, the big hot topic of conversation. And the coalition on the council is split three ways. Hoenlinks and Pfeffedia are in favour of removing the statue, possibly to a museum. Pfeffedia and Einhorn... See what they've done there? <laughs> that party name. <laughs> Local party Einhorn, uh, the Unicorn Party. They want to keep it. And uh, the CDA and Horn Local, yes, it's a six-party coalition. They're sitting on the fence. Uh, the councillors in favour agree. argue they've already uh, made concessions by recognising Kuhn's misdeeds in a plaque that was uh, uh, added to the pedestal in 2011, though it does also say he was a vigorous and visionary governor. He was certainly vigorous, uh, by all accounts, that's, uh, <laughs> that's not in dispute. The following year, the Vestfries Museum asked 3,000 visitors uh, to an exhibition what should happen to the statue, and 68% said it should stay. But anti-racism campaigners mm. say it is colonial propaganda and Kuhn should not be honoured because his crimes were an act of genocide. You may also remember that uh, our, one of our favourite uh, sources of Opef, Thierry Baudet, laid flowers at the base of the statue two years ago oh, as a right. tribute to Kuhn. Yeah. And riot police had to be sent in to drive away a group of uh, counter-protesters who, uh, I think, tried to remove the flowers and, uh, um, yeah, and, and oh, paint really? the statue mm. again. Yeah. This, so was, Kuhn, uh, this was Baudet's Boreal Blumabo nonsense it was that's right so Kuhn still that's fair to say stirs very strong emotions among both defenders and detractors I remember 
eight years ago or something, um, he was accidentally pulled from his uh, pedestal because there was a lorry, I believe, that uh, yeah didn't have a, w- w- wasn't looking into its blind spots and then uh, <laughs> crashed into the the statue and then it fell from its pedestal, I believe. Uh, yeah. W- so uh, was the lorry distracted by a badly spelt sign? <laughs> I imagine it was, yeah. And by the way, the coat of arms of Horen is a unicorn holding a shield with a horn. So yeah, ah. they are very into horns uh, in uh, in Horen. Horns and unicorns, yeah. Um, and I believe there's the, the municipality slogan is Horen moet je voelen. Right. Let's just skip away from that very quickly. Yes, go yeah, back. Do, 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 let's do, do, return is, to is, the controversy around slavery. Does Mark have a house there? <laughs> Yeah, let's let's go back to a controversy around slavery. That's much more much more <laughs> much, much more to talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, Horen, they, they they've been dealing with uh, they've been struggling with the slavery past, uh, I believe, right? Yes, Horn has a big slavery past. It was uh, one of the hubs of the Dutch slave trade. It was uh, one of the few cities that was represented in both the VOC and the VEC. So it had oh, a stake really? in the East Indies and the West Indies, and uh, yeah, so implicated in the transportation of around one and a half million people from the colonies. Uh, in the days before slavery was abolished um, but uh, the, the council has uh, refused to apologise for its slave trading past uh, recently uh, council has decided that uh, apologies would be excessive and needlessly polarising um, whereas mm. not apologising for them doesn't seem to be polarising at all in, in, in their view um, it, that goes rather against the grain of course because there have been a series of apologies in the last uh, 18 months uh, from Mark Rutter uh, also from King Willem Alexander and from other towns uh, including all four major cities now have all issued apologies for their role in the slave trade and of course the king himself has uh, commissioned an inquiry into the royal families um, how much the royal family's own wealth came from slavery but uh, councillors and horns said that uh, the fact the king and the prime minister has apologised on behalf of the nation should be good enough for everybody and they don't really feel the need to apologise separately The Chinese authorities managed to access a small defense ministry computer network last year, and the Dutch have now published a detailed technical report as a warning to others, uh, according to Defense Minister Kaisa Olongren. The malware used to break into the system created a backdoor through which information could be collected, the military security service MIVD said. The MEVD said it uh, is sharing extensive information about the malware online so that companies and organizations can check whether they too are victims. If so, they are being advised to report to the National Cybersecurity Center. The only way to remove the malware is to reinstall everything, the MEVD said. The malware was found at the Defense Ministry on a standalone computer network, which the MEVD says has no connection to the rest of the defense network. How on earth did the Chinese manage to access that network then? Uh, mm, yeah. I wonder. <laughs> yes. um, the victim uh, network had fewer than 50 users and was used in the research and development of unclassified projects and joint projects with two third-party research institutes if it's such an uh, unimportant uh, project why on earth would you need a secluded and isolated uh, small computer network you can't be too careful can you yeah Yeah. Yeah. Um, these organizations have been uh, notified of the incident uh, according to the mfa day yeah, so the official line is nothing to see here. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the Chinese, the Chinese uh, made a big effort to hack a computer that was kept in a uh, in, in a very secluded location, but um, the, the, the nothing of importance was found. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, how did China respond to these allegations? 
The Chinese embassy in The Hague uh, has denied uh, the Dutch defense ministry's claims that Beijing is, be, is behind espionage software found on the ministry network. <laughs> um, what else could they say? Uh, they said that uh, secu- cybersecurity is a common challenge facing all countries. And China always firmly opposes and cracks down on cyber attacks in all forms in accordance with the law. The Uh, embassy said in a short press statement we will not allow any country or individual using Chinese infrastructure to engage in such illegal activities they said Mm. so yeah so uh, yeah so that, uh, that's uh, not less believable than Omsir's explanations uh. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah. yeah and that's not the only spying news we've had this week yeah. No, uh, yeah, this came out uh, a couple of uh, months ago, I believe. A member of the anti-terrorism task force NCTV suspect was suspected of divulging classified information to Morocco for years, and uh, he had some 928 documents in his possession, uh, including 345 documents from the Secret Service IFAD and 65 from the Military Intelligence Service MFAD. Yeah, that's what the prosecution service said at a uh, preliminary hearing. Uh, the man yeah. is did, 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 did he store these confidential documents in his bathroom did you do a donald trump uh i wonder yeah <laughs> that uh that that seems like a good place to uh, to hide secret information yeah <laughs> the man is a 64 year old up lm and he was arrested at schiphol airport in october last year when he was traveling to morocco he was found to be carrying a massive number of data storage devices containing over 100 classified documents of which 23 contain sta- state secrets Um, and these uh, secrets covered the period between 2007 and 2023. Uh, the Justice Department was alerted to the man's illicit activities by the IFAD, which filmed M printing and bagging classified information. Uh, the IFAD also found M was in, in regular contact with the head of the Moroccan counter espionage unit, who also arranged his frequent flights to Morocco. Yeah, if you don't use a a secret agent as a travel agent, I would say. Um, <laughs> I think that's a valuable lesson to come out of this. Yeah, even though he was uh, yeah still able to uh, to uh, to do this for what is it at least twenty uh, five years or so. Yeah. Um, if he is found uh, guilty, of course. Um, One of the IFAD's documents dating from uh, 2021 contained an analysis of the activities of Moroccan Secret Service in the Netherlands, which could damage vital Dutch interests if made public. Um, M's context uh, with the Moroccan Secret Service date back as far as 1995. So yeah, he's been active for a very long time. Um, according to the prosecution service, an M may spend up to 15 years in prison if convicted. He wasn't present at the hearing. Uh, he invoked his right to silence, uh, his lawyer said, because his uh, former police and Secret Service work bind him to confidentiality. <laughs> That's ironic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the prosecution's officer said the investigation would take at least a year because you have some 46 terabytes of information to uh, to comb through um, and that's the equivalent of 11 and a half billion a4 pages and um, yeah they produce a lot of paper and and, and <laughs> even Peter Omzicht would take uh, at least three days <laughs> to read all that exactly yeah <laughs> so um, Yeah, a um, very, very peculiar uh, spy... um, Spying saga. uh, Spying saga here, yes. We start the sports roundup with the quarterfinals of the Cannes-Febe Baker or the Dutch Cup. All the amateur clubs are out of the competition, but three teams from the Mm. Kogenkampioen Divisie were hoping to knock out Eredivisie opposition. 
Gambir Leovarden had the best chance against crisis-ridden Vitesse Arnhem, who are bottom of the top flight at the moment, and Gambir uh, duly took it. They won 3-1 in Friesland with two goals by Milan Smit and one from Federer de Jong. Kronia also upset the odds to beat Fortuna Sittard in a penalty shootout after a 0-0 draw. No such luck though for Arden and Haag, who were soundly beaten 3-0 by NAC. Feyenoord are now red-top favourites to win the competition after they dispatched AZ Alkmaar in the Kaup, and that followed their wins. They've also knocked out uh, Twente Enschede um, and, um, uh, and PSV, so three of the top five in the Eredivisie. Uh, although they did lose Kernot Traunau with a hamstring injury and Quinton Timber, who suffered a concussion when he was hit full in the face uh, by the ball uh, in the last minute of the game. Both players have been ruled out of the home leg of Feyenoord's Europa League clash with Roma next Thursday. Always something to look forward to. Mm. Um, and uh, the Champions League is uh, back from its hibernation, right? Yeah, the yeah, knockout stages start next week, although PSV aren't playing Dortmund until February the 20th because the next first knockout round just takes about three months, even mm. almost as long as, a, 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 as negotiating a new Dutch government uh, to, to com- conclude. <laughs> In the women's competition, Ajax have been drawn against Chelsea after reaching the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. The first leg will be in Amsterdam on March 19th, and the return fixture is in London on March 27th. Coach Susanna Bakker said it was a fantastic opportunity for the team. She said Chelsea was a great club with big names, and we're going to make it as difficult for them as possible. And speaking of uh, big names and uh, making things as difficult uh, as possible for someone, um, there's news about Mark Overmars. Yes, yeah, we don't have Dick Law news anymore, so we have to do, make do with Dick Pickgate news instead. <laughs> uh, Overmars this week appealed against his worldwide ban from working in football, which FIFA imposed in January. And that came after the Dutch sports disciplinary body ISR had found him guilty last November of breaching its rules on sexual harassment. Overmars, of course, admitted sending unsolicited dick pics to female colleagues while he was Ajax's director of football, but initially the ban didn't um, make a difference to him because by then he'd moved to Belgium, where they decided that uh, he that, that you know he'd uh, he he'd made his apologies and uh, deserved a fresh start. Um, he was he is now uh, director of football at Royal Antwerp, uh, but he's uh, unable to work now until November uh, after FIFA extended the ban. Overmars argued that uh, a global ban was disproportionate, but he walked away empty-handed from FIFA's appeals panel, and uh, although he can still appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Lausanne. Mm. And last week, NOS broke the news that Ajax had twice tried to re-recruit Overmars after he oh, left really? the club. Yeah, they, uh, they actually <laughs> called him up and said, uh, Mark, uh, yeah, we feel like a, a suitable amount of time has passed. Uh, well, in the first case, uh, it was just four weeks after he'd resigned in disgrace. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, Leon, Lane Mayard, the chair of the club's supervisory board, who in official statements had said he condemned Overmars' behaviour in the strongest possible terms. But in private messages, uh, he was uh, busy trying to set up meetings with Overmars to discuss mm. how he could uh, patch things up with his victims and uh, pave the way for a return to the club. I know you didn't mean for things to turn out this way, Mayard said, although I don't know what else, uh, what other intention you can have uh, when you're sending pictures of, your, of yourself to, um, uh, to, to your colleagues. What a dick. Indeed. There was, understand- there was understandable outrage uh, across the talk shows um, yeah, at uh, the fact that Ajax uh, had, once, uh, d- d- had tried to brush the whole thing under the carpet and uh, say that uh, yeah, Overmars is welcome to come back to the club. So I think it's quite likely um, now that this has been made public that um, yeah, the, 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 the door will have to be closed definitively on um, for a long time. 
That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, leave us a rating. And you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout-out on the podcast and access to all our uh, juicy bonus content. My thanks to Pal Peters, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we will be back next week. They wasted two and a half months. Why couldn't Omzicht just think uh, in week one this is not going to happen? This is...